supposed to do? This is some real pretty shit now, man. You finished. Game over, man. Game over. What the fuck are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do? Maybe we could build a fire, sing a couple of songs, huh? Why don't we try that? We better get Hello, friends. It's your midweek chapo. It's me, Will Miniker, with the usual gang, Felix. Hello, everyone. Matt. Hi. Amber. Howdy. How you guys doing? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I am, uh, I'd say, about three-fifths of the way through GTA 4, reliving a gaming experience. Here's a little game theory on GTA 4. Now, GTA 4 changed the way that we play GTA. The combat system. Uh, Brendan, could you that. cut Felix's mic for the rest of the episode, please? No, we're going to be uh, we're going to be talking about some of the uh, political news of the week. Uh, there are some things of notes. I've lined up um, an excellent medley for our reading series on this episode. But before we get to the political news, I would like to take some time out of the show to discuss what I think was the most important news story of the week, or certainly the most significant to me personally. And I'm talking about, regrettably, the passing of the great Bill Paxton this week. Uh, died at 61. The game is truly over, man. <laughs> We're in some real pretty shit now, man. We're fucked. <laughs> but um, no, I just, uh, that, that really uh, hit me in the gut when I woke up on Sunday to see Bill Paxton had uh, died. Honestly, one of the most iconic actors of my youth. Uh, like I could not imagine, you know, even being the person I am today without some of the roles he played. Specifically, of course, Hudson in Aliens, but also the uh, pathetic car salesman in True Lies, who has a small penis and pretends to be something he isn't. Bill so- Paxton in that movie, he played another guy who died uh, this past week, Alan Combs. He played Alan Combs in the movie <laughs> True Lies. <laughs> But um, genuinely, though, I, you know, he's been in so many good movies and was such a good actor. And, you know, I said it when when on the day, but he just had like the perfect mix of being a goofball and a badass at the same time that I think is very hard to do. And like almost no Walton Goggins is maybe like a close to that kind of style. But like Bill Paxton, I thought was like the real originator of that. Yeah. you know, he, like, pa- he paved the way for what I do on the show. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I said it before, uh, by way of mourning, I want to recommend two underseen gems from Bill Paxton, the first of which is Carl Franklin's 90s-era film noir called One False Move that is excellent, and the other is the movie Frailty that Bill Paxton actually directed himself and stars in. And this was like... Frailty has a, a pre-McConaissance Matthew McConaughey play, basically playing a Rust Cole character. So that's another reason to, to latch on to that one. But I'd just like to extend the Chapo, uh, you know, prayers, condolences to the Bill Paxton family. And just know that I'm thinking of you, buddy. To quote Ron Fournier, good morning, heaven. <laughs> he was not in good morning, Vietnam. That's just what you say when someone dies. No, I, I think Matt had it exactly right. Game over, man. Game over. Yeah, that's the uh, the sad news of the week. But m- moving along, uh, I guess I want to I want to begin talking about uh, the recent uh, DNC chair election that happened this week. Uh, we've been talking a lot about Trump on the show recently, and you know it's hard not to. It's hard to ignore him. But there is this whole universe. Uh, of the Democrats as well that are, you know, I think we've, you know, perhaps neglected. And I think now would be a good time to refocus on the Democratic Party. We mustn't neglect the libs. Yes. And I guess, you know, I said I'm not going to talk about his State of the Union or address to Congress last night, but maybe begin by talking about the Democratic response to that last night, because that was surreal. Look, when somebody says that they're going to publish 
all immigrant crimes and, you know, has this heart tugging moment where they have the widow of a guy that they got killed in the dumbest way possible. The best thing you can do is trot out a bone dry dying man to talk about Medicare expansion that he did four or five, six years ago. To be clear, though, this guy is not the Bashir or whatever is not actually in government, right? He's yeah. the former yeah, governor, he's the of Kentucky. governor of Kentucky, and he uh, did do one of the most successful Obamacare rollouts in the in the country. Uh, his KY Connect system, the state exchanges he created, worked was one of the better ones. But he left office after term limits last year, and he was replaced by a Republican who promptly destroyed the uh, the, the exchange at the cost of millions of dollars. And has promised to basically kill poor people. So once again, hell of a job keeping, uh, maintaining all of those awesome uh, incremental gains that you keep making. And then them not at all just being immediately erased because you don't know how to fucking sell anything. Well, I I thought just visually it was very surreal because he looks to be about 90 years old and was sitting in a diner filled with other old people. And it was just, it reminded me of that scene uh, late in The Sopranos where Artie and his wife, like the restaurant is losing money and they have to put coupons in the newspaper for like the early bird special and then and, like they open the door at the end of the episode and just this like sea of retirees just flood into the restaurant for like half off pasta. That's what it reminded me of. It was a very sort of John Kasich scene as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These were the pe- these are the people that John Kasich asks, asks for phone chargers and uh, spare crumbs from. Uh and it's such a perfect example of what these fuckers take from things. So they lose the election to Trump, total shocker, and that makes them start thinking, oh my God, what should we do? How do we deal with reaching out to these people who have spurned us? And does it have anything to do with you know, actually proposing policies or anything? No, no, no. Just get the cast of Cocoon out there. Be like, hey, <laughs> hey, old white people, we have old white people too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Basics, so, pa- panicked, uh, uh, surface level bullshit. Uh, Joanne Reed uh, posted something like, to all the liberal keyboard warriors uh, snarking out there, which I'm all those things. Uh, <laughs> she said, uh, Keep in mind that this response is not game towards Democrats. It's game towards P- towards undecideds. And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, if this election showed anything, undecideds love actively dying democrats who present barely any alternative vision and just suck up all the air around them that's what people were clamoring for the biggest complaint about hillary was that she was not dying enough (laughs) (laughs) well i believe to your point felix like that yeah this is the refrain you hear a lot like you know it looks bad to people like us because you know we're a pack of you know ironic jackals uh, living in, in in elite circles, but like no, you don't understand what this is like to the rest of the people. If anyone understands, it's Joanne Reed, by the way. But you know, like to to this point, like okay, well, okay, so if this message isn't to us, right, and it isn't to like any of the millions of young people who are like angry and energized right now, who the fuck is it for? And this goes into. You know what I want to bring up now. The other thing that happened this past week, the uh, the DNC uh, chair election, right? Close race, but Tom Perez, who was very clearly the establishment stalking horse, pulled out this you know squeaker win against Keith Ellison, who rep- clearly represented more of the younger Bernie wing of the party. And now I remember in our episode right after the election, our uh, "We Live in the Zone Now" episode. I made mention of the like the possibility of Keith Ellison being the DNC chair, and I think I said, I'm sure he's all right, but I'm not going to try to get too emotionally invested in anything the Democratic Party does because, like, who the, you know, like this is like polishing the brass in the Titanic at this point. That being said, seeing this all go down, it sort of felt like you know I told myself I wasn't going to get angry or watch the Super Bowl, and then I did, and of course was really fucking angry <laughs> at how it I turned actually, out. I actually, I, I was not surprised i was not upset because it's it's not a you know meaningful position to be honest it's not like mm-hmm. he would be setting the platform for the democratic party um so i was neither surprised nor upset but when i thought about it i realized they're not even giving us totally symbolic gestures anymore 
mm-hmm. which is super strange because this would have been for for a well-oiled Democratic Party, this would have been like a perfect opportunity for them to just pull some bullshit out and be like, ah, we gave you a Bernie guy yeah. for a DNC chair, and meanwhile. You know, people like me would be screaming, it doesn't mean anything. He doesn't really have right. any power. Right. You know, I right. I never thought like at no point was I like, oh, the Democratic Party is going to go in this good direction if Ellison gets in there. My rage is really at the total contempt they have for anything resembling the left. This yeah. young wave, this like this young wave behind Ellison. Because it would have been conceding Ellison. nothing. Yeah, they, it would have been nothing. a total gesture. It would still, Chuck Schumer would still be fucking running things. But Absolutely. They can't even do that. They can't even fucking do that. Yeah. They told their fucking people to applaud for every fucking thing that Trump said, but they can't even give the left wing of the party fucking shit. That fucking ghoul Perez gets up there and says, I'm going to make Ellison the fake vice chair because I want him to be the face of the party well you just completely got in the way of him being the fucking face of the party you could have had a good face they don't even want a good face they want a guy they want a guy who looks like an apple that i left on my fucking radiator for two weeks (laughs) (laughs) well they can't give it up even even symbolic gestures are too much because it opens the door and they got to keep the door fucking slammed shut and they need to. It's all about exerting power and showing them who's boss. But that's so insane. You have no opportunities here. That's like, insane, though. If they want to like maintain power, they should be throwing us a bone right now and lying no, to us the way the Democratic Party has in the past and been like, "Well, no, look, we'll give you this. It'll be great." Wholeheartedly, especially with Trump as president, no, you got nowhere else to go. So you could have your little tantrums, but at the end of the day, we're the only game in town. You're going to come back to us. They're 100% confident of that, and so they have nothing but contempt. They're not scared at all. They yeah. are. They're just like fucking like like horrible, shitty, alcoholic, deadbeat dad saying she'll come back. She's not coming back. And they, they can't even... They can't even face it and tell us what it is, what this actually is. It's so obvious to anyone who has any clear vision of this. Uh, just a fucking act of spite towards anything resembling the left. Yeah. But when you challenge them on it, they go, well, Perez and Ellison are the same. Well, why the fuck did he run then? Why, okay. why the fuck yeah. is he in there? Felix, that's, that is exactly the point that, that I saw being made over and over again, where it's just like while all these people that are upset about Ellison – him and him and Ellison are exactly the same, and I and then I actually tried to engage a couple people, and I said, if they're exactly the same, why did Perez run? And the answer I got over and over again was, he's an ambitious guy. Maybe he thought he'd do a better job, which is totally fucking wrong. Yeah, and he's to an this amb- point. To this point, actually, I want to read from uh, a Medium post that Matt Brunig wrote this week, uh, summarizing this, and I thought it was uh, very concise and clear, and said it exactly what needed to be said. But the essential point is that Tom Perez was solicited. This is covered in news articles. He was specifically recruited and solicited by Obama's people to run against Keith Ellison. He didn't just decide for himself that my vision, you know, hey, I can get things done better than Ellison or, you know, I'm ambitious. I want to do this. So let me just read here from what Brunig writes. He says, Let's be very clear about what happened here. It was the establishment wing that decided to recruit and then stand up a candidate in order to fight an internal battle against the left faction of the party. It was the establishment wing that then dumped massive piles of opposition research on one of their own party members. He's, of course, referring to all of the bullshit that came out about how Keith Ellison was an anti-Semite intimations about his Muslim faith, you know, uh, at, like, yeah, like Nation of Islam bullshit. Um, uh, continuing here, it says, and it was the establishment wing that did all of this in the shadow of Trump, sowing disunity in order to contest a position whose leadership they insist does not really matter. And like, this is it. Like, it, they, they will use this now to be like, again, a call for unity to come together. You know, let's rally around Perez. We need to have a unified party. And just to, to close out, I think he gets exactly right what this means for people who are on the left or consider the Democratic Party inadequate. Just to finish, he says, the left should focus its energies on organizing under alternative institutions that, if they engage the Democratic Party at all, only do so in order to attempt hostile takeovers of various power positions, including primarying moderate Democrats and winning local party positions. Only a sucker would do more than that, given what the party has just shown itself to be about at this time. You think that's fair enough? Yeah, absolutely. 
And there's another element to this that infuriated me more than anything. And it goes back to the thing where people would say, well, they're the same. They have the same views. And yes, of course, the first question is, well, why the hell did, uh, did Perez run in the first place? But the second is that even saying that shows that these people are either lying or genuinely don't understand how politics works. And I think it's probably 50-50. And that is, it does not matter what an individual political figure's personal political views on any subject are what matters is who is he beholden to his power for what mm -hmm. what coalition of interests does he owe his position and when it's perez versus ellison it, perez was beholden to the obama and clinton people and the big donors and ellison would have been beholden to the grassroots that's the fucking difference. Their personal views on any specific issue are absolutely meaningless. And to not understand that basic fact about politics, no wonder you get your fucking asses kicked every goddamn day because you don't realize what's happening because you genuinely do think this is some West Wing shit where it comes down to your truly held beliefs and your ability to convince people of it. Matt, that's exactly right. And like, I... I, I... I feel like I, I see this all the time, this this very superficial understanding of politics where you just sort of like rank the public statements of figures based on like whether you like it or not or whether it sounds good to you and just like, you know, line them up together along with their, you know, identity or whatever and then just score it that way. And it's just this very surface level understanding. And that's why I think it's basically impossible to argue with these people because... It, it, we're dealing from a different deck entirely. Well, they're building a golem of cynicism and they expect it to work for them and to never bite them in the ass. They expect the people that they're uh, you know, telling to lower their standards are never going to resent them for doing that. Yeah. It's insane. They're like, they're like an incompetent colonial authority. It's like, being, it's like being run by a French colonial officer. That's the opposition party. Obama has just secured $60 million to write about his book. And Cannot do you think wait. this guy gives a fuck? Do you think he gives a fucking shit about what happens? No. He doesn't. He's just another fucking rich guy who went to an Ivy League school now. But you are going to let him dictate who runs the party. You know, who even knows what his motivations are? Maybe it's this egotistical thing that he wants people, wants the Democratic Party to still be the Obama Democrats. The people who, even if they have these beliefs like Tom Perez allegedly does, the ambitious Tom Perez who didn't run for a party leadership position until he was 900 fucking years old. <laughs> Who they may have these beliefs, but the way that they execute those beliefs is by showing up to negotiation with that in the back of their head, but already beginning at the position of compromise. Another reason why their personal beliefs don't matter, because they worship process and compromise so much that 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 ideal that they had, it's already out the window when they're walking down the hallway to meet with fucking McConnell or whatever fucking ghoul. And to the to your point about compromise, I think this speaks to Ellison himself. He is a compromise candidate, okay? He's like not Sanders like Sanders was. Like like Bernie Sanders. Like he's not great, but th there are signs that he is not completely terrible. And like this is the thing, like I think Amber's right. I don't think it really matters who's in charge of the DNC, but I think like this is of note at least because what it is is it's an augur of the future. And again and again, we are, you know, They've the taken on a question, policy of contempt. The question That's is asked. That's how they're dealing with the internal yeah, dissent. That's the, how they're dealing the, with the loss of the, their base. The energy, Contents. the energy is out there, and like there are signs to be like, can we have something that's not completely awful to represent it? And the answer, so thus far, every time has been no. Eat shit. So that's why I think uh, the Ellison Perez thing matters to the extent that it does at all. I think it, in some ways, this actually does auger. Well, and this isn't just me saying it after the fact because Ellison lost. The day before, I thought, well, what actually is the end game here? And I thought about Ellison being in there, and I thought about all this. There is this incredible left energy now. But if Ellison got in there, there would have been thousands of activists whose goal is now to reform this fucking awful monster that's run by uh, non-elected officials who resent people even contacting them, that's funded entirely by fucking fin financial services lobbyists and Lockheed Martin, that they could reform this thing into being not being what it is. I think it augurs better that this energy will not be tied down into the Democratic Party. But it's still incredibly frustrating to even... 
to deal with these people's smugness, their know-it-all attitude. As Matt said, you cannot act like you have the practical you have the practical solution to everything that you worship practicality if you fucking not just lost to grimace for president but you lost a thousand plus state legislature seats you lost 13 governorships you lost the house and the fucking senate you lost everything that isn't the fucking westchester school board and you're even gonna fucking lose that when you finally run chelsea clinton and she loses to one of donald trump's illegitimate sons <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, and and this is when I when I tried to engage some of these people. I just think, like, for a lot of people who are still, you know, like I don't know, Democratic Party stalwarts or liberals, I don't know why, but I don't think they fully come to terms with just how completely the Democratic Party has failed as a party and them Hillary won by 3 million votes. They don't have to do anything. Right. I mean, that's their line, right? That Hillary actually did win the election. So they didn't do anything wrong. That's because nobody knew about the electoral college until the day after the election. Any sort of like, we can't eat, they can't even symbolically get rid of some failed apparatchik like Tom Perez, who has the stink of failure all over him. And it's just like, what the democratic party, we know it'd be a positive sign. The next Democratic Party conference should take a page from the Bath Party conference in 1979. (laughs) Now, that sucks, obviously, but I did want I do want to make note of something else uh, that I read this week that I think is worth discussing on the show that I think is a good sign and cause for optimism. We've been talking about how the you know, Democratic Party has pretty much, you know, abandoned um, its grassroots and has nothing but contempt for anyone left of the neoliberal consensus. Uh, that is not the view, by the way, from CPAC. And I want to talk about this article that, that came out this week in Vox by Jeff Stein titled, How Conservatives Want to Break Bernie Sanders' Spell Over Young Americans. And I think this is interesting because he went there to cover CPAC. And the view from CPAC is that, like, sure, they were gloating over beating Hillary Clinton. But the person that they were most focused on was Bernie Sanders. And I think it's clear, at least to the right, who they regard as a threat. And it certainly isn't fucking Tom Perez they or the Obama They still don't get it either that, it, that it's yeah. not Bernie. They still don't get, they still say how to break his spell over young, like he's the fucking Pied Piper. Come on, you can't deny the raw sexual charisma of that 79-year-old Jewish man. Yeah, he's not that charming. I mean, that's half of his appeal is that he's not charming. He just has good ideas and people just want something a little bit better for themselves. The mutants at CPAC are like, God, we could just... We'd get all these young people stop liking Sanders if he wasn't so hot. Yeah, that must be where they're at. They're like, what is this newfangled thing the kids are into? So I just want to, um, there's, there were some great quotes in this Vox piece. And like I said, I read it and uh, it made me feel optimistic about the future. It really did. I was going to begin here. Mercedes Schlapp was delivering a warning about the dangers of young Americans' support for socialism. Again, I just love the Dickensian character to these names. It just says every Mercedes Schlapp. It's like an onomatopoeia. Hi, I'm the head of the uh, Pinochet Center for Economic Freedom. My name is Portia Plop. (laughs) He said, um, she was delivering a warning about the dangers of young Americans' support for socialism when she turned to face thousands of conservatives in the crowd. Parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, this is your responsibility, Schlapp, a columnist at the New York <laughs> Times. Sorry, at the Washington Times told the Conservative Political Action Conference event on Thursday. You have to take this message to your children and your nieces and nephews. What I love about um, young Mercedes Schlapp is she's like, we got to reach out to these young people. Grandparents, it's your job to do that. Yeah, every grandparent that's at CPAC, by the way, they're no longer invited to Thanksgiving. So good luck. Schlapp was moderating a panel titled Free Stuff versus Free Dumb. Millennials love affair with Bernie Sanders. So like this is their messaging going forward. This is how they're going to turn back the tide of, uh, you know, the leftward drift of an entire generation. But listen to this. 
the old story used to be, wait until they have a mortgage and they'll become conservative, said Timothy F. Mooney, an attendee who is a partner at the Republican political consulting firm Silver Bullet. Ugh. Yeah, you know, that's... <laughs> they're, I, they're literally saying that people we work for are undead, like yeah. anthropes. <laughs> yeah, no, he said, wait till they have a mortgage. But he said, honestly, I don't think that's true anymore. So I think... Wait, no, 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 wait. What does that mean? Does that mean that he thinks all these millennials have mortgages and are simply unfazed or that none of us have mortgages? Because that's a very unclear way of phrasing that. I think it's, I mean, I think it's a combination of that no millennials have a mortgage and even the ones that do, it's not breaking right like it used to. Where yeah. They just want to, they, they get a house and they just want to protect what they have. My name is uh, uh, Eric Wad from the uh, Stake in the Heart Institute. I'm a <laughs> 28-year-old millennial with a horseshoe pattern baldness and uh, my nose looks like a curly fry. Uh, I actually, I don't own a house, but I just like to take mortgages out because I like to pay the debt on them just because... Because I like obligation and responsibility. It continues. On Thursday, 23-year-old Jonathan Stack was at C... Again, great name. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that is just Every single one of these guys has a last name that's a sound you make when you drop something on your foot. (laughs) (laughs) Schlapp and Stack. Just plain schlapps. (laughs) <laughs> He's 23 years old. He's there at CPAC with a group of young conservatives called Turning Point USA. Dozens of Turning Point students milled around the convention hall wearing matching t-shirts with socialism sucks written on the front in Sanders iconic font and style. When I go to campuses, people immediately see this and they walk right up. They, they see what we're talking about and we can have a good discussion, says Stack, a student at Penn State. I'm just going to edit that slightly. And just say, when they see it, they immediately think, Christ, what an asshole. (laughs) Nothing is cooler than a roving band of college students in matching parody t-shirts. Yeah, that's, you know, the only thing that could fight them is a shirt that says, like, you know... uh, Socialism rules. How about the guys who thought about this? It's Karl Marx and Lenin, and they're wearing party hats. It says, uh, Communist Party. So it's, it's like they're both types of parties. That's the only thing that could defeat that. Uh, here's a, here's another. This is this quote from Stack is brilliant. He says, uh, "Not every Sanders supporter will be willing to convert, but he says many are persuadable, and he's convinced more will be so become so during the Trump years." And I quote now from Stack: "Right now, it's just a Bernie Sanders fad. I really believe in what Trump and the Republicans can do with full control." When people see those changes in two or three years, they'll change on capitalism. Look, yeah, look. I mean, I used, I used to think like you know, I have no job opportunities. I need to work for free for two years for some reason before I can even get a job. And then you know, I I can't. I have this insurance that I I can't afford to care for, and just my life is a living hell. Every moment of my life is dominated by work. I make no money, but. After Trump banned travel from Tunisia and then a court knocked it down and then he made a weird speech, I'm no longer... I'm actually happy with my life now. Once these millennials who are so sprung on socialism get a few of their relatives deported or assaulted and then lose their health care, they'll come around. The moment you see a 400-pound guy in body armor uh, with a Blue Lives Matter tattoo stomp on your friend's head in the middle of the street... You're like, well, I'm, uh, you know, free enterprise is the way to freedom. They go on to talk about how all the young, a lot of the young people who like Bernie Sanders and socialism don't really understand what it is. They just want free stuff. And I say personally, we should lean into that entirely. I want free stuff. Yeah. I think everyone should have free stuff. Look at people's lives now. You already do pay. At the end of the day, what is the difference between your checkbook, between your fucking debt service that you have to pay? And taxes. At least you fucking get something out of your taxes if we go in this direction. That's what most kids believe now. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, it's not like, I mean, yeah, uh, their parody is always, oh, these dumb kids think everything's for free. But no, everybody knows what taxes are. But right now, it literally just goes to creating uh, these, you know, aircraft carriers and fucking airplanes that don't actually fly but cost 700 billion dollars each and they're like well wait if it was uh what if i could go to the doctor instead like yeah, that's but, not that's not but insane. these people these college sort of free market advocates are so confident that they're the only people like amanda fapp is just so <laughs> confident that they're the only people that understand like supply side economics and 
and and I think they take it's like, economics 101. Amber. <laughs> it's economics 101. And I think they take that very seriously. And I think they were arrived at this, uh, you know, like startling conclusion for them people who have never thought about this before in their lives, and they're like, my God, I, I have discovered the truth. I must go and spread the gospel. They're like insane evangelicals, except they're never going to even get married to have sex. Yeah, I mean, like if you, in the past 30 years, there's been sort of a takeover of uh, academia and economics. Uh, a lot of that was a coke speared effort to get a lot of uh, Austrians in there. Uh, Austrians annexing as they genetically like to do, and uh, it's it was an incredibly well funded effort to sort of propagandize what we think of as common sense economics, but it didn't really work for people at college because at the end of the day, all you're getting out of that is the kid who comes to, to class with a walking stick and just mumbles at supply and demand. Well, uh, th- those are the younger conservatives being quoted in this article. He goes on to talk to some of the older conservatives at CPAC, which were like 95% of the people attending CPAC. And their take on this was either even more blinkeredly naive or just even more, just angry. So I want to read a couple quotes here. Uh, Someone said, uh, in a panel discussion, uh, this is Representative Ron DeSantis of Florida, said that if millennials saw that national monuments pay homage to America's heroes, they'd be more likely to adopt American values. Come to Washington. Go to the National Mall. See the memorials to Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, all these great people who stood for these great ideals. It's about articulating what it means to be America. That sense of history and understanding, I think it will make a big difference. Guys, we were just in D.C. a month ago. How did that go? <laughs> F definitely felt like Mecca. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I'm getting the vibe. Okay, one more. Listen to this. Overwhelmingly, most argued the biggest difference would come from changing American education. Ready for this name? Chris, <laughs> Chris Astriob. <laughs> I'm just going to call him Chris Ass Trab. Is that his, <laughs> is that his like, steampunk cosplay name? Chris Astriob. Yeah, I, I mean, you know how I yeah. am with names or whatever, but I'm just going to say... He has a monocle Chris, Chris Ass, an astrolabe. <laughs> Chris Astrab, 64, <laughs> of Fairfax, Virginia, said students had forgotten Economics 101 because they failed <laughs> to teach it in school. Um, and then, you know, it goes on to talk about they need to learn about the dangers of the Soviet Union. This woman from the Heritage Foundation says, quote, they need to take a one week ticket, one week trip to Cuba, spend some time there and then come back and tell me about socialism. I yes. Would, yes. Check. Yes. Uh, Anna Quintana of the Heritage Foundation, please send all of the Chapa, the hottest young socialist outfit to Havana for an all expenses paid trip for a week. And we will come back and talk to you about socialism. One last quote here from the uh, the olds. This is not a funny name. It's Geraldine Davey, but this is funny. The only people Bernie appeals to are those in college with no direction who are like welfare students and welfare people whose money is paid for by their parents, said Geraldine Davey, 76 of Virginia. Uh, I bet she's a yeah. gra- I bet her grandkids love her. She sounds like just a delightful she person. She says their parents pay for their money. Is that actually the... This Geraldine actually is the most realistic. She says... There's nothing conservatives can do to change those mush for brains. They are just going to have to wait. When they have a job and a baby, they can talk to me about socialism. Because then they'll say, no thanks, and become rugged individualists. Yeah, the moment they have a baby and uh, the Trump debtor protection squad doesn't let them take it home until they pay the hospital. (laughs) They're going to be like, yeah, socialism, it's bad. Thanks, Geraldine, you old piece of shit. Bitter old fucking crone. Fuck you. And I'm sorry, actually, that name is funny to me. Maybe just because I smoked weed. Yeah, Yeah, that's... No, I mean, it sounds like a a name of of a, you know, an object of affection in a monkey's song. It's fun. yeah, 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 yeah. It's a guy, uh, someone with a bowl cut at, <laughs> and a turtleneck fucked her in 1958. Capturing <laughs> uh, her beatnik face. Yeah. She was the subject of the famous 50s song uh, "Oh Sweetie Baby" by Gary Tasteman. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Tasteman, one of the inventors of rock and roll, tragically died when uh, his blimp ran into Holland Tunnel, killing 300. <laughs> I'm a rockabilly guy. I have the tattoo of all my favorite singers from the 50s. Gary Tasteman, jo- Joey Popsicle, uh, <laughs> f- fucking G- Gary Buddy. 
Uh, my wife has my wife has bullshit bullshit rockabilly tattoos. We always get in fights, and I walk around the bar punching punching the doors, and I'm like, "Damn it!" And my Marlboros keep falling out of the rolled up sleeve in my <laughs> shitty shirt and vest. It doesn't actually stay in like in movies, but I cry. I get drunk and cry every anniversary of Gary Tasteman's death. So Felix moved to Greenpoint where there are still rockabillies, yeah. and he doesn't like. I them. fuck it. They're the worst pieces of shit in the world. I wish that has been weighing on you. I hate them so fucking much. <laughs> They're such pieces of shit. They're the worst people. In <laughs> and I include. You sound like a man members. who's never listened to Brian Setzer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, zoot suit riot. I'm racist and alternative. Excuse me. That was uh, the Cherry Pop and Daddies who were swing revival, not rockabilly. <laughs> Felix, thank you. Thank you for this digression. Yeah, you're welcome. But yeah, I'm crying. To, to put to put a bow on the the socialism article, I think it's to say. Uh, the Democrats have no fucking clue what's going on no. with young people in this country, but I feel like the Republicans kind of do. I think they have maybe kind of a better handle on it, and I think that's a good sign. Yeah, you know why? Because they're not fucking losers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what's fucked up is everyone, every person under like 80 in this article's name is like uh, <laughs> D- Timothy Jacuzzi. <laughs> And they're, 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 like, they're like, the moment I hold a girl's hand, I'm going to get them to stop being socialists. And they're somehow like l- smaller losers than the Democrats. That's fucking amazing. They're like bullying the Democrats. It That's rules. fucking amazing. It rules. These are kids who like idolize Ted Cruz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how, that's how fucking, that's, that's how much they're winning. But ex- you're exactly right. They're winning a hell of a lot more than any fucking person under 30 who like still really loves Hillary Clinton? Oh, absolutely! That's for fucking oh my damn God. sure. That's, way bigger losers. That's worse than being a rockabilly person, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> this does though show that they don't really they they win, yes, but they really do lean on that ethno nationalism to actually get people to vote for them. Because you see in this article, they're their brainstorms on how to like talk these kids out of socialism are like, eh, have you tried economics one hundred and one? And like nobody's gonna fucking fall for that shit. That's not uh, that's not actually persuasive. They have to have you know uh, all all that more emotionally powerful like you know. Yeah, they're the smug liberals race, race of hate. Republicans. That's what really that's that, if they were if they were just left to that, they would be the Libertarian Party. Yeah, yeah. This is the equivalent like if a Juche candidate somehow stormed the DNC and won the presidency <laughs> and was enacting Juche reforms and. There is still like a DNC staffed by the same people, and they're like, oh, once the young conservatives realize about the earned income tax credit, it's like, no, you're on a totally different thing now. They're just doing something totally different. <laughs> um, and like I said, I, I, it gave me cause to be optimistic, both because of how much energy and uh, you know commitment is behind uh, the left among young people and how utterly hopeless uh, both the Democrats and the Republicans are going to be attempting to, I don't know, sell out uh, these kids. I mean, they're going to sell them out, but I mean, win them over rather because, you know, Ted Cruz is, I don't think, going to get it done for them. Moving along, uh, the reading series for this week. I feel like it's uh, it's been a while, but we I think it's time for another Classic Chapo reading series. I'm so ready. Tell me a bedtime story. I'm baked out of my mind. It's a double shot this week, and we're returning to two Chapo reading series mainstays. They, they're a great double pairing, like chocolate and peanut butter, because they're sort of different versions of the same person. But this week, we're going back to David French, email troop and warrior, wife protector, and bathroom... Uh, yeah. Security guard. Bathroom warrior with perverts in the stall. <laughs> Bathroom warrior. Uh, my wife goes to email and presses delete all. <laughs> and following after that, our friend Rod Dreyer. So these are these are two uh, quick hits from David French and Rod Dreyer. Uh, the first one from David French was in the National Review today. A fan uh, sent this along just this morning, and I saw it, and I knew we had to read it on the show. It's great. The title of the article is, This is How Free Speech Slowly Dies. But the actual (laughs) content of the article is completely irrelevant, because I'm just going to read the first half where he does my favorite thing that David French does. Tell an anecdote from his life, being like, 
listen to this totally normal, cool thing that I did that completely betrays what an insufferable twat he is to everyone around him. So I was letting my wife and son out of their kennels. (laughs) (laughs) The subhead to this article is, the government is now subjectively policing the emotional impact of individual emails. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not that I have a vested interest. Again, so telling. It's he can't he can't help himself. It's it's the emails again and their emotional impact on people's lives. It begins. Many years ago, when I was a brash young conservative lawyer <laughs> working in a big law firm. Do you mean rash? <laughs> <laughs> and you were also never young. I guarantee no, you that this guy bald at you know twenty. Yeah, uh, looked like a you know yeah he he looked and talked like Spike Jones his entire life. Um, <laughs> I said something that could have ended my career and almost certainly would have today. Was it the N word? <laughs> he totally said the N word. He was rapping along to one of his favorite songs, <laughs> and he was like, "No, they're saying it, not me." He was doing the smooth cover. <laughs> yeah, he was just literally doing the entire Chris Rockers. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, "David, we're putting you on probation at the firm because you didn't say Chris Rock voice before this." <laughs> it's it's even better, guys. It was March Madness, and I was running one of the firm's two bracket pools. As a basketball snob. <laughs> you know, basketball snob. That that area of fandom we all know and love. The college, college basketball crank. Like I said, all these guys are the same yeah. fucking person. Does it's it, amazing. By the way, basketball snob, as I take it to mean, it just means racist because you're like, what well, was better before uh, you know, the African came in with his ability to dunk? <laughs> it was better when they only made bounce passes yeah. up and down a court. <laughs> No, he's a, as a basketball, a basketball snob. It was a way better game back when, uh, back when it took 18 minutes to get a layup and uh, dunking was, a, was considered undignified. Yeah, and all the cheerleaders like wore parkas. <laughs> as a basketball snob, I disliked the traditional pool because it was too dependent on sheer dumb luck. As I recall. A lawyer's 10-year-old kids had won two previous years, and I wanted a pool for serious fans only. And I said, listen, you fucking kike. <laughs> That's absolutely okay. what happened. <laughs> this is like the f- very advanced math students. He <laughs> <laughs> beat the shit out of him, so he got super mad. He's like, I'm not playing with you anymore. Again, he, he's telling this story about when he was a brash young rebel, and the, in the first paragraph ends with him immediately being mad at someone's kids <laughs> for winning the basketball <laughs> Because they didn't try hard enough. <laughs> if, you're, if, if you're if you're a if you're not a conservative by age forty, you have no brain. But if you're not a conservative by age twenty, you've never been outsmarted by a child. <laughs> so it gets it gets better. Listen to this. So so I created what I called the conservative bracket. <laughs> You know, we had like fun names for the teams, like the you know the Kentucky Kentucky Welfare Queens. Uh, the <laughs> he says the conservative bracket is a pool that put a premium on picking upsets. In a firm wide email, I said you could join the traditional liberal bracket where merit was irrelevant to outcome, and even the most ignorant fan sorry, could stop. win a trophy. <laughs> stop. Was did he just say a firm wide email? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's Freudian. The emails, they're firm. They're wide. They're coming at me. Jesus Christ, man. Talk to someone. I said the simple throbbing email like I normally do. Eight inch uncut email. <laughs> There's no smegma on the email. It was perfect. Okay, for now you're mouth. being too literal. That's too on the nose, Felix. We're having fun, but you know. He's at the liberal bracket, right? I, I like that he's obs- like the liberal bracket relies too much on just chance and luck you know like how sports just generally yeah. do you know, you know it has nothing to do with chance upsets you <laughs> fucking moron you also you know also has nothing to do with chance or luck uh just being born into incredibly wealth and privilege yeah you know i my favorite thing about this is all like the all of david french's articles that usually like liberals are you know pussifying the western male and it's like your defining moment of your youth 
was uh, throwing a tantrum and starting a new fantasy basketball league <laughs> because a child kept beating you. I want this him the to keep rewriting space. this essay, though. Like, I want him to keep doing it and be like, and I never went to that pizza place again because that 13-year-old beat my Pac-Man school. <laughs> I want him to start every essay he writes with a humiliating childhood anecdote for the yeah. rest of his life. He wasn't even a child, though. He was a fucking adult like man. Yeah, he was young, brash rebel. So, okay, so he sends a, a firm wide email to everybody in this law firm okay decrying the quote liberal bracket and 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 you know sell you know given the hard sell on his quote conservative bracket you know endearing himself to everyone who worked there i'm sure from the mill room to the highest partner were like this this yeah like like there was not a firm wide email immediately after that that was just everyone saying who is this asshole? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says, that wasn't the offensive part. Just wait. He's proud of this. Once the tournament got rolling, I intended to start each Monday with a fun and highly politicized summary of the weekend's <laughs> results. <laughs> the year was 1995, and the mighty Arizona Wildcats were upset by Miami of Ohio in the first round, a result I predicted. So in the gleeful opening paragraph of my Monday morning firm wide email, <laughs> this is now sent to every lawyer, paralegal, and secretary, I explained at some length that Arizona lost because it played like, quote, a bunch of girls. <gasps> That's the offensive part. Wow. He says, okay, that was the offensive part. Like, everything he did before then wasn't completely not inappropriate. A, like, not just... I mean, not offensive, but just the most annoying thing yeah. that like a human being yeah. could do in a workplace environment. So he says, the chairman of the firm's management committee was a liberal feminist, and the firm's female partners were by and large quite feminist. What the fuck do you expect, dude? Like you're working at a fucking law firm and like the senior partners are women. He's like, I don't know why they were offended by this email. Yeah. It's also like entertain the possibility that they all fucking hated you and were looking for a reason to reprimand yeah, you. Yeah, they were looking for something more justifiable than like, please don't use the company email to start fucking sp sports fucking pools. Da David, please stop sending an all partner's uh, vascular email uh, <laughs> just simply titled Black Crime. Oh, God. Stop doing that. He says, oh, I, heard through, I heard through the grapevine oh, that the partners were not pleased. I braced myself for the consequences. What I love about this as well is that he's like he's annoyed by this that he had to like face some kind of repercussions, but just in every other respect at the National Review, they believe that employees have no rights whatsoever. Yeah. And just should like be made to sit through like religious and like anti-union indoctrination like at will, basically. Or like that, you know, his contempt for like let's say fast food or service employees for not bowing and scraping to his every asinine request, I'm sure is virtually limitless. But he's annoyed about this because he pissed off literally his colleagues, not just like people who work for him. Yeah. His colleagues at this law yeah, firm. Yeah, but they're female colleagues, so they're basically yeah, uh, staff. No, his yeah. female bosses, actually. But they're staff yeah. to him. Like, yeah. He's yeah. like, in my head, I imagine them being 80 feet tall and uh, <laughs> stomping on me with their feet. And my last oh my breath God. was uh, just their toe jam in my just covering every orifice. Anyway, so the liberal workplace is. Uh, <laughs> You're so pathological. So he says, The next morning I came to work and saw that my office door was closed. When I opened the door, my office was empty and the walls were covered with posters of women's college basketball teams. I turned around and every woman in the firm was standing behind me, triumphant smirks on their faces. My secretary grabbed my hand and led me down the hall to the women's restroom where they'd put my desk and chair and taped David's office on the door. That rules. Oh, that's guys, so cool. Guys, there's so many levels to this. <laughs> I, I think the most those are some down bitches. Yes. But this is the genesis. I mean, they're probably this, evil cutthroat pieces of shit, yeah. but I love them. This is the genesis to his bathroom yeah. paranoia. This is like Spider-Man. This yeah. is like oh Spider-Man. He was he wanted to do a radioactive bathroom. <laughs> this is oh Jesus loves me. <laughs> 
I mean, who cares? Who cares? Who gives a shit? I don't give a shit. It's, it's about it, nothing. It's, it's, just, it's just him on the couch. It's just, it's, it's just he's on the couch. He's just typing. No, this this is like an email he sent to his therapist. Basically, I'm yeah. just imagining him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm imagining is... him lying on a couch telling this story and a guy just like doodling trying yeah. not to listen to yeah. the shit I like how like half no, of he's the... sitting on a couch and the guy and the guy behind him is fucking Dylan Baker from Happiness <laughs> fantasizing about <laughs> shooting up a park full of people <laughs> no he like I mean who cares but he just says I wasn't called into human resources you know he said they responded to my ham-handed attempted humor with some humor of their own. I wasn't called to human resources. I wasn't counseled. I didn't have to attend diversity training. And I certainly wasn't fine. I kept rolling with my conservative bracket. And then in parentheses, he says, I came in last. And I kept sending firm, wide emails. <laughs> oh, my God. And then, okay, then I'm not even going to read the so rest, but great. it just says, I thought of that incident while reading Eugene Volko's analysis of the ridiculous decision from the Equal Employment Opportunity to blah, 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 blah. And then, <laughs> then it goes on into some unreadable horseshit. But again, such a good anecdote, David French. Again, oh. there's so many levels to it. <laughs> I love it. And he used it all to segue to some just like totally, totally esoteric, boring. Yeah. Not, yeah. you know, justification <laughs> for why you should be able to fire someone if they have bad teeth. Yeah, yeah. yeah like this is the David French special, a very monstrous viewpoint, but it's backed up by a story that starts out incredibly mundane and goes into the territory of like. Uh, <laughs> You know, I always hear my dad's voice yelling at me when I touch my dick in the urinal. But it's like the first part of the Ralph Wiggum story that you only ever heard the second part of. Like, and that's why I'm happy. I don't have worms anymore. Yeah, 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 but he yeah, does yeah. the first part and then ends on something terrible and boring from the Cato Institute or some bullshit. That's David French. I hope I hope Rod, our, our, our two-shot on this medley here, can live up to it. But... It's a quick one from Rod. I bring, I'm bringing this up because Rod's book is coming out uh, called the, the the Benedict Option book. For those yeah. of you not familiar with the Benedict Option, this is his new book-length uh, explication of this idea that since American culture and politics is just so hostile to Orthodox Christianity, they need to sort of withdraw from the world into these almost monastic-like communities. And he's been on a tear with this lately because it got a big write-up in the Atlantic that he didn't like because he thought, you know, the reviewer asked too many questions about what the fuck is up with you and gay people. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he says, I, f I find it very odd that she focused on one chapter of the book and I find myself having to defend myself all the time. People keep asking me about, you know, gay this and gay that, but it's really not like the main thing I write about or my interests. And it's like, well, Rod, I don't know if Emma reads your blog at the American Conservative, but uh, basically it's all you write about yeah. is gay people and trans people. And the question she was trying to, the answer she was trying to elicit from him was like, what does the Benedict option, like how are you trying to like live in, like what, what are you offering gay people that you have to like live and work alongside with? Like how do you feel about them? Like where do you draw the line or whatever? And he was sort of evasive and like all Rod's pieces it just goes on and on and on and he quotes at length so I'm just going to sort of answer Rod with Rod and I'm going to read from um, something else that uh, that Rod has wrote that I think answers this question or at least speaks to uh, what he fails to realize about why, what people respond to in his own work this is from January of this year, and uh, this was in reaction to the commutation of Chelsea Manning's sentence. Oh, boy. Throughout this entire article, he refers to her as he, um, calls her a traitor, and there is one line here. He says, uh, he says that Dante consigned traitors to the lowest circle of the inferno, blah, blah, blah. He has this line. He refers to Chelsea Manning as the penis-having traitor suffers Jesus. because people might not think she is, quote, a real woman. Think about that. Manning suffers serious psychological problems and has tried to commit suicide. I'm reading from him now. He should receive medical treatment, but not boobs grown at taxpayer expense on his traitorous breast and not liberty for breaking his oath under arms. Yeah, I mean, we make fun of a lot about how Rod is a miserable fucking human being who never feels happiness. But he is a horribly nasty piece of shit who deserves every second of it. Well, this is yeah. the, this is the problem is that like in his reaction to Emma Green, he goes on and on and on about like how 
I don't, you know, I'm not obsessed with this. I'm a good person. Many of my best friends are liberals and gays. Some of my dearest friends are gays. And like, you know, I've no. been getting along with them their no, entire no, no, life. No. And it's, yeah, like, fuck you. Like, who are he, these people? He just sees like his friend open a can with his left hand and goes, oh, he's, he's gay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very open-minded. But the, I mean, One like, of my friends is even of Circassian descent. Rod, that isn't anything. What the fuck are you talking again, about? I only quoted that just to give you like just a little glimpse of yeah. like Rod being like he's at his nastiest. Like, yeah. like- the real joy in this article and the, the reading series is going to come from the update. Now, keep in mind, in, in, in his response to, and he does this all the time, he goes, has these long ass posts and he keeps updating them. But again, he was mad at the Atlantic because he felt that they were too hard on his beliefs about gay people or they focused too much on that when he himself is such a magnanimous person who has so many gay friends and he's not this monster. Okay, listen to this update. This is to the, his piece on Chelsea Manning. I was thinking just now about why this case made me so angry. And then it hit me. About 25 years ago, I shared an apartment with a gay friend, a college buddy, and helped him get settled and started. He ended up walking out on our lease and skipping town, owing me $800 and leaving me scrambling to find someone to take his room because I couldn't afford the apartment on my own. That was bad enough, but I had also loaned him my laptop so he could compose his resume and hunt for work. I found out later, after he had skipped town, that he had gone into my private emails, read them all, and distributed information he found good and gossipy all at my expense. (laughs) And while doing all that behind my back, he told his friends that it was okay because I was a conservative and therefore part of the oppressor class. Yes, yes, queen. Rod said, and again, his response to the Atlantic piece that he has all these gay friends. He thought this guy was a friend, but I guarantee you, if this story is real at all. Which I highly doubt. This guy hated his guts from the beginning and yeah. just wanted like needed some yeah, place to live. I would really like to know his side of the story because maybe he did skip out on the rent, but it might have been after waking up one morning and turning around and seeing Rod standing nude in the doorway, staring at him while he slept. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Rod, Rod was wearing an Eastern Orthodox cassock and chanting. <laughs> I would skip out on the rent, too. Uh, His his gay friends agreed, apparently. The the fact that I was a conservative justified his betrayal in his mind because conservatives oppressed gay people. Again, Rod, they do, and it does. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, No, I I hope he, like, put your towel in his ass. Like, (laughs) never mind that we had been friends for years. Again, I think he was just casual acquaintances, maybe. He stole information and money from me while I thought he was a good friend who deserved my help. No wonder the Chelsea Manning case infuriates me so. It felt personal in ways I had not anticipated at first. Chelsea Manning didn't didn't leak your emails to Everlane or whatever. (laughs) But what is his argument that, like, you know, queers are gossipy? Yeah, yeah. I gotta say that I I, it, I shudder to think about what the Rod Dreher equivalent of the collateral murder video is. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Oh man! Him. Yikes! Update number two. Here we go. Oh boy, he says liberal people. Honestly, <laughs> the update above has nothing to do with the justice or not of Obama's commutation of Manning's sentence. It only speaks to why the commutation may have made me a bit angrier than it otherwise might have. Yeah, angry enough to call Chelsea a penis-having traitor who deserves to die in solitary. Sounds that way, you were a little bit peeved, Rod. Maybe we say this all He's the. Mad about that eight hundred dollars. Well, he yeah. says uh, the idea that pity for Manning's sexual and gender status was seen as exculpatory by many liberals possibly even the president. The gay roommate I had stole private information from my computer and disseminated among his friends for their entertainment and justified what he did because he was gay and I was a conservative, was part of the oppressor class, and whatever he did against me was justified in advance. My complaint here is not against Manning, but against liberals who have made him a hero, at least in part because he's a poor, put upon, transgender. If I had made him less culpable for his crimes, again, that's not Manning's fault. It was the fault of a certain kind of liberal. <laughs> bravo! Bravo! Uh, oh, my God. Rod Dreher, ladies and gentlemen, the Chapo reading series. The one-man show. <laughs> Yo, put those motherfucking lighters up in the bathroom stalls. <laughs> oh, my God, what a piece of shit. Jesus. So, Rod, 
my message to you is nobody is fucking buying that you don't have a massive chip on your shoulder about gay people in this country. Stop fucking lying. You don't have friends. You don't have friends in general. You don't have liberal friends. You don't have gay friends. You probably don't even have conservative friends. Stay in your fucking monastery and keep writing made-up emails for the American conservative. You fucking twat. Rod Dreher, you live in a fucking circus tent. I gotta say that he does make a strong argument for the Benedict option. He does. Like, He's... Men like Rod should gather together and march into the wilderness and never be heard from again absolutely you know yeah stop posting so getting off the fucking internet okay the internet is nothing but sodomy rod yeah, it's log gay off, here dude. it's real gay log off I, by the way by the your way house our house <laughs> i was on you porn uh looking at uh videos of women in uh pvc outfits getting inflated you know to, <laughs> to, to talk about the book of uh leviticus with other people by the way if you are rod's former roommate that uh robbed his, his <laughs> money and email we'll send you please yeah. please contact us you can live with us yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need a roommate yeah. um so uh that's it for this uh midweek show yeah yep great to talk to you as always great to yeah. have great to have you listen as always <laughs> fans friends goodbye see you bye. in a bit cheers bye <laughs>